It is, uh, it's good to be together. We are going to be uh, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning once more, um, tackling a few verses there today. So go ahead and please start finding that either in your Bible uh, or if you need to borrow one, there's some in the seats there in front of you. Again, if you don't have your own Bible, then take the one that you find in the chair in front of you. We want everyone to have their own Bible. And more importantly, we want everyone to be reading uh, their own Bible, not just Sunday mornings, but uh, each day of the week, taking a portion, allowing God to speak to you through his word. Uh, it is a gift and a privilege, and so we don't want to neglect that. So if you don't have one, please feel free to take that with you. As we've come to chapter 6, as you can imagine, it's the last chapter in the book, and so as you can imagine, Paul is sort of wrapping up those words of encouragement and the command, really, the charge, it's a word, again, it's a military charge that he gave to his protege, this fellow Timothy, all for, again, the purpose of sending him to the city of Ephesus, preparing him for his time that he gets there, the work that he's going to do, who he's going to do that amongst, uh, what types of things he needs to focus on, what types of things he needs to stay away from. That's, that's all of the, the different things we've encountered so far in this book. And so as we started the book, chapter 1, again, he's talking about those false teachers and the impact that false teaching and those false teachers can have on a body of believers, as well as just the, the general individual that's trying to walk with the Lord. He reminded Timothy, you might recall, about his, the importance of Timothy remaining faithful to the gospel message that had been delivered to him when he was a young man, because there is that tendency to think we need to reinvent the wheel that this is getting stale, this is getting old, people aren't going to be interested. I need something fresh and something new and something exciting. And Paul said, you don't need something fresh and new and exciting. You need something that's real. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And continue to bring that gospel message to the people there that you are working with. Don't go swerving off on some path that leads to nowhere. Paul addressed very practical matters. Paul had been in the ministry 25, 30 years by this point. And so he had some very practical advice for this young minister, a guy setting out, kind of getting his first church and what he was going to need to do there. And, and that's, again, where he said, look, you're going to have to appoint elders. These are the type of people you want to have in that position. You're going to have deacons and deaconesses. These are the type of people you want in those positions. He even gave him advice. Look, when you're talking with older men, I, I advise you, as a younger man, here's how you should approach it. When you're talking with older women, here's how you should approach that. And when you're dealing with the younger women, be careful, because you're going to be drawn into uh, heart affinities with them, or they toward you, and you need to be careful toward that. So he gives them all of this very, very practical advice there uh, in the book, and it, it's, it's great for that purpose. And so maybe every single... Thing that we see in here, we, we can try to make the context of, if I were a pastor, how would this apply to me? I think more importantly, okay, I'm not even a pastor, I'm just a follower of Christ. How can I apply these things in my walk with Jesus Christ? And we've been trying to make those connections as we go. I think the most important thing, one of the most important things we saw, is when Paul transitioned away from, this is what a minister needs to do, and he transitioned to, this is what a minister needs to be. This is the type of person you need to be. And he comes back to that now in the few verses that we're going to be looking at here in chapter 6. And again, I think Will, I know he did, he read this passage at the start of our time together. And before he read it, he made reference to the fact that Paul was addressing those false teachers 
and their tendency toward covetousness. Remember the false teachers, there were these three motivations that Paul highlighted. One was their greed, covetousness. They saw godliness as a means to gain. Another one was this idea of pride, that they wanted everybody to think that they knew something that nobody else did. And then there was that third idea of they liked to fight, they liked to quarrel. Not because they wanted to use their fists, but they wanted to prove, I know more than you. I'm more important than you. I have access to knowledge that you don't have access to. Paul calls that knowledge so-called knowledge. But these were those motivating factors. The last one of which he looked at was that motivating factor of covetousness. Look at verse 5 of chapter 6 by way of review. He says, and there was constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means to gain. Of course, Paul's not against godliness. He'll go on to explain what true godliness really is. And we saw that Paul's not even necessarily against gain. But in Paul's thinking, there's something far more significant than a huge bank account that these guys are pursuing. And that's what he's calling Timothy to go after is the more the, the reality of what that godliness really is and that these false teachers have confused themselves on. And so I'm going to pick up today in verse 9 of chapter 6, and it says, Now, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, they fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And now our verse for today. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses. Notice how Paul begins verse 11. Our passage today is verses 11 and 12. Notice as how he begins verse 11. He says, but as for you. And so he makes a strong contrast between the false teachers that he's been speaking of and Timothy, and hopefully you and I as well. He makes a strong contrast between these false teachers that are trying to gain in society through their position and Timothy, who he's sending to Ephesus to lead the people there of Ephesus. He calls Timothy a man of God. Now that's a, that's a term, maybe we don't use it as much as we used to, but it's a term which usually referred to kind of that, the person of the cloth, that professional. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like bugs, I don't like rodents. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> Why don't we uh, just end today? Um, we'll fumigate the place. We'll come back next week. That's scary. Okay, so he calls him a man of God. Again, that's a term we often think of. Uh, the preacher is the man of God. You know, he, he wears the, the outfit and the hat and, and all this sort of thing. Um, that's not how Paul is using it. He's not using it so much to talk about that professional minister. It's not so much this idea here of an official designation. 
it really what he is referring to is a spiritual characterization. And that can refer to any one of us as men of God or as women of God. So don't think of this as specifically directions that are being given to a guy that's going to be leading this particular church. It's interesting to note the only person in the New Testament that is referred to as a man of God or that phrase is used of him is Timothy. Paul uses of him on two different occasions. It's used a lot in the Old Testament. And it's typically used of the prophet or the person that's going to be representatively speaking for God. That person is referred to often as the man of God. But in the New Testament, it only character, uh, carries over to our friend Timothy. And it speaks of a person that is a representative of God. If you are a Christian, you are a representative of God, whether you want to be or not. People will look at you they will observe you and they will draw some conclusions from your life as to who God is and what God can do in the life of a person that says they are a follower of his. And so when he says here, but you, O man of God, this should speak directly into each one of our lives. Who is God calling me to be? What is God calling me to be? And how am I to be living my life in such a way that people will see me as an accurate representation of God in this world in which we live? He says here about the man of God or the woman of God that they are to be, and we'll develop this, godlike in their character. Now, I'm not talking the New Age weird stuff. God-like in their character that when people look at you, they think of God. When people look at you, they say, there's somebody that can answer my questions about God. When people look at you, they say, that person knows God and can be a resource for me as I'm trying to come to an understanding of who God is. And every one of us that name the name of Christ are called to be men and women of God, not just those that are professionally doing this for a living as the term is so often used. To a different uh, phrase that Paul uses in another location is he, he compares the follower of Christ to an ambassador of Christ. And you know what an ambassador does? An ambassador goes into a foreign country and they represent the country from which they come, and particularly the leader of that particular country. And so when they go, they're not sharing my, their opinions, their views, their ideas. They're not saying, well, you know, the, the president thinks this, but he's a kook. This is what I think. They're not saying that. They are representing the views of the one that has sent them. And if they can't do that, then they can't serve in that particular position. Paul says that we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, and thus we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Man of God, ambassador of Christ, it is our responsibility to serve the one we represent faithfully and truthfully. And by contrasting Timothy with the false teachers that he's been speaking of on various places throughout this book, Paul is emphasizing this reality. Timothy, I know you're not like that. Timothy, I know you're different. But at the same time, Timothy, you need to keep being different. You need to keep being set apart from the things of this world that have drawn the false teachers away, and you need to stay to the path of which you've been set upon. He charges Timothy, he says, Timothy, as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
Now, Paul's going to exhort Timothy in our verses today to do three different things. As the passage goes on to the end of the chapter, there'll be two additional things right around the end of the book. So, but for our purposes, he's going to exhort him for three different things, two, three different things. Number one is that he flee certain things, that he pursue other things, and then lastly, that he fight for the most important thing. And so let's take a look at the first one. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, as attentive readers, active readers of the scripture, we're not just sort of making our way through, we're going to be done and shut the book and cross off that we did our devos for the day. We want to actually be engaging with the text. And as an active reader that's engaged with the text, when he says, flee these things, your first question should be to yourself, what things? And to come up with your answer, go back to the context. And so we go back to the context, okay, because I read that it was a week ago since we did it. I've forgotten. Let me go back to the context. Let me look at it here. What are the things that he is referring to that he's exhorting Timothy to be fleeing? Well, the immediate context is covetousness. That's what he's been, he spent six, five, six verses on. That's the immediate context. And so he is to be fleeing covetousness. We also know a couple verses before that he was talking about pride and the pride that these false teachers had that caused them to want to prove how smart they are and how they know more and how God talks to them but not other people. And so that's a second thing that he would have to flee, Timothy would have to flee. Covetousness, pride, the false teachings that these people were presenting, that this is the book as a whole, that they swerved off the path to, that in verse uh, 20, he'll talk about irreverent babbling and the many contradictions, that's chapter 1. And so all of those particular things, pride, covetousness, false teachings, irreverent babblings, and so on, all of those things that he's been talking about in the book, Paul's bringing it all together and telling Timothy he needs to flee those things. In another location, Paul talked about fleeing from sexual immorality. Another, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he would have to flee sexual immorality. Well, that's certainly a lesson that Paul communicated to his mentee, Timothy, at some point. So that's a thing that he would need to flee from. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he's told to flee idolatry. Or the, the people of Corinth are told to flee from idolatry. Especially in the city of Ephesus, which was like the headquarters of it in so many ways, that would have been something that would have been communicated to Timothy that he would need to be fleeing from. Paul would write to Timothy in the next book, 2 Timothy, that Timothy should flee youthful passions. And so as he applies that to him there, that's another thing that he would need to flee from. All of these are things that Timothy needs to be fleeing from, not playing around with, getting away from. Literally, it means running away from something. You know what the word flee means, right? It literally means running away from something. When I hear that, I can't help but think of the patriarch Joseph in the Old Testament. Again, we have Joseph in the New Testament, the father of the stepfather there of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there was also a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph, we call him one of the patriarchs, one of the founding fathers of the faith, if you will. And many of you know his story. It was a difficult story. He didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. It was so bad that his brothers beat him up, threw him down into a pit. 
basically they were going to leave him there for dead. They wanted to kill their brother, their younger brother. Then some traders come along. They decide, you know what, why, rather than kill him, why don't we make some money off him? Let's sell him off into slavery. And so they sell their brother off into slavery. He's taken off to who knows where and makes the best of it, becomes a hard-working slave, does a nice job for his